Yeah, uh-oh. We got some work to do today. We're in this August, uh, good morning, UCC. I feel like I haven't seen you guys in like two months. Thank you. Almost died of heat stroke in Israel. Literally, they had to carry me out about three quarters of a mile. It was pretty scary, so that was fun. So thanks for anybody who might have been praying for me. It worked. And if nobody was praying for me, God's good anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, we're back. We're here. Um, we're in this August preaching series where um, we're trying to basically, each one of the teaching team members want to share some of their own story of spiritual formation and what spiritual formation has looked like in their life. Really, in a lot of ways, we've spent all of 2022 up to this point talking about spiritual formation. It's been a theme in different one way or another. And so it's really fitting that we might all as different teaching team members kind of reflect on that and share from that space. I, I think the prompt that Megan gave us said particularly, what has spiritual formation looked like for you in the last two or three years? And I sat down to get ready for this sermon this week, and I thought about the last two or three years, and I don't know about you guys, I, I can't make any sense out of the last two or three years. Is anybody else with me on that? I can't see straight. Like, it's just this jumbled up mess of chaos and trust. Like, chaos, and it's like, ah, and then, like, trust if you give yourself a little bit of grace and compassion and credit. Like this, this just weird mess. I, and I couldn't, I couldn't pull apart spiritual formation in my life. So what I did was I went all the way back to the beginning, and when I got back to the last two or three years, I went, ah, oh, praise Jesus. So that's what I want to do today, if that's okay. I didn't clear it with Megan. It's not what she asked me to speak on according to the technicalities of her prompt, but we'll get there eventually, I promise. So I just went back through my life. I said, what does spiritual formation look like in my life? And I went back to when... I don't know, my adolescent, when I feel like my faith was becoming my own. I was raised in the church, always grew up going to church. So pinpointing exactly where I got saved is always a little tricky. Does that make sense? I was raised in a Reformed tradition. Uh, I was sprinkled at one point, so who knows where Jesus saved me. Um, I went to Bible college and found out that if I wasn't immersed, I wasn't even going to heaven anymore. So I quickly got immersed, just figured I would cover all my bases. I'm really glad this room is laughing. Um, so I, it's hard for me to actually be like, there, 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 I've always known Jesus in my family and in my community of faith and fellowship. I've always been really spoiled and privileged in that regard. And so it, it, I went back to my adolescence, junior high, high school, maybe even my first year or two or college. And one of the things that I reflected on is I was like, spiritual formation, spiritual formation. And you know what I found so interesting is that that age in my life, I'm not really sure if I would call it spiritual formation. I was surrounded by family, church, a public school system that, that sought to make my natural abilities thrive. They, they wanted to look at who I was and my giftedness. And I also, as I reflect on that time in my life, I know how unbelievably privileged I was. I, I get it. I grew up in rural, suburban Pacific Northwest, okay? that answers any like how privileged were you that privileged I wasn't gifted and talented I got invited to all the state leadership conferences I'm a white male so everything in the system is designed to work for me and everything I mean everything I was surrounded 
As long as I would be responsible and pour into it, my natural abilities were, were cultivated by the whole world and all the systems around me. Maybe there is some spiritual formation in that, but I just found that to be interesting and weird. I, I don't know if it's bad. I'm not even sure I'm critiquing it. I'm grateful for it. I also know how, yeah, I want to I I quit using politically charged words, but I realize how, how, how privileged that whole thing was, and, and I can't go back and undo any of that or change some of those things, so I just have to steward it. And hopefully I get to steward it on behalf of others rather than just myself. Those are some of the things that I've learned. But that was a weird period of my life, because I'm not sure I had a whole lot of spiritual formation. Maybe spiritual formation begins with natural. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'll let you decide over lunch today. You can let me know. But then I got to college, and uh, started pastoring a church at 18 years old, which is as bad of an idea as that sounds like. <laughs> and you can talk to the church who asked me to do that. Um, but yeah, I started pastoring a church when I was 18. Um, it's a weird story. I can tell you all the details. Uh, 18, 19, should I say? I was probably 19 when I, when I got there. But young, young kid, and because of that, this church surrounded me with mentors. Um, these older folks, older men in the faith, and so I come out of this youthful adolescence, and I am, I am driven, I am student athlete, I, am, I, I have all these natural abilities that have been cultivated, and the world around me is telling me, go, run, produce, flourish, grow churches, in the name of Jesus. And these mentors came around me, and these mentors said, no. No, stop. Don't run. Don't produce. Don't flourish. Don't keep going. Don't. And, and, and they just, they taught me things about spiritual practices. And I think there was a class in Bible college about like memorizing your Bible and, and praying and stuff. I think it was called Christian Life. I think it was 101 class. So like 101, like really important foundation. But we really didn't spend, if I wouldn't have had mentors in my life, there's no way. They taught me about prayer. They taught me about fasting. They taught me about Sabbath and solitude and silence. They taught me how to listen and hear the voice of Jesus. My mentors gave me Jesus. And I know that sounds poetic, but... My mentors gave me Jesus when the world wasn't. They were giving me a lot of things that were like wrapped in Jesus. They had the Jesus sticker on it. It had Jesus and blinking lights. But, but my mentors were the ones that were like, no, stop. You're not amazing, actually. You're a sinful, you're a sinful dude. That if you don't take time to stop and listen to what Jesus is saying, you're going you're gonna to make a big mess out of everything. I'm just like so unbelievably grateful for my mentors. Made me think of a few passages, well, one passage. Made me think of Philippians 3. Brothers and sisters, join, me in, join in imitating me and observe those who live in accordance to the example you have in us. That's a statement. Like just consider having a life where you could look at somebody and say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. I'm going to read that again. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have. So me and others who, who, who live as, as an example to you. To imitate. Like that's, that's a thing. To live a life that, say, that says, follow me as I, as I follow Jesus. 
not, and not that Paul would ever say he was perfect. I don't think Paul would have ever said, I'm following Jesus perfectly. He just simply says, I'm following Jesus, so you can follow me if, it's, if it helps. Follow me as I follow Christ. And, which, by the way, one of the things I always tell uh, my students on my trips is we always talk about discipleship. And one of the things I always, as a reflection point today, this morning, one of the things I always tell them is there's always somebody in front of you and there's always somebody behind you. I don't care where you're at in your spiritual journey. I don't care how knowledgeable or educated or how long you've been a believer. I don't care like how spiritually mature you are or how much you've failed or what your story is. There's always somebody in front of you and there's always somebody behind you. Always. There's always somebody that you can be following, imitating, intentionally, unintentionally, formally, informally, whatever that might look like. But maybe more importantly, there's always somebody behind you. So as a reflection point this morning, is there anybody in your life that you have an intentional relationship with? It doesn't have to be some grandiose Apostle Paul level discipleship, but just enough that you would look at and say, in this area of my life, I'm trying to follow Jesus. You want to follow me? You want to come with me? Follow me, I'll follow Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because those mentors, I, I, would, I, I, I wouldn't be in ministry, I wouldn't probably be married, I wouldn't have... I, without mentors that gave me those tools, like really primary, essential, like hammer level tools. Like just a hammer, it's not very complicated, you hit things. <laughs> like, what is spiritual practice? I'm not very good with the hammer though, but nevertheless. What is spiritual, spiritual practices are like the rudimentary, elementary level stuff. Imitate me as I uh, imitate Christ. Observe those who live according to the example you have in us, for many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I've often told you of them, and now I tell, I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is their shame, their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. It's from there that we're expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus. This is what my mentors taught me. My mentors are like, listen, there's all this stuff in front of you, and there's all this stuff the world wants you to do, but you're actually a part of something else. Listen for Jesus, and follow Jesus. That's what my mentors taught me. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. So that probably lasted for, I don't know, much of my 20s. And then somewhere towards my mid to late 20s, I entered what I, what I identified this week as I reflected on my life, kind of the next stage of, the next season of spiritual formation. And that was a season of therapy and counseling. And I remember going there and not thinking that I needed it. Like, I, I remember uh, somebody saying I needed to go to, to counseling and therapy and me kind of like laughing and having this chip on my shoulder. And they're like, we'll even pay for it. And I was like, well, if you're going to pay for it and give me f four hours of my work week to myself, like you bet I'll go to counseling and therapy. So I definitely don't need it, stupid people, but I'll take it. Ha <laughs> ha, joke's on you. Joke was on me. Um, I start going to probably just, man, about four to six, seven years of pretty regular, consistent counseling and therapy. I had a therapist pull back the curtain on these narcissistic tendencies in my life. So I had these, like, I had these spiritual practices and disciplines. Jesus, like, my mentors had given me Jesus, but then Jesus took the next tool. I wanted to find a chisel. This was as close as I, I have. I don't work with tools, in case you guys are curious. <laughs> I don't work with tools. I don't know. This is my grandfather's toolbox I inherited. I'm like, I should go find that somewhere. Um, I believe this is a punch, but nevertheless, you get the idea. Like, God started doing some pretty painful work in my life, but good 
goodness gracious. I think, I think my wife would tell you like the ways that I began to change because somebody, and I don't know if you would, I don't know if typically you would think like counseling and therapy, that's a spiritual practice. It is for me. To this day, it continues to be for me, but it was. Like God took disciplines and combined it with counseling and therapy. To, I, had, I had sin in my life. Surprise. And, and, I, and, I, and I thought I had dealt with all the sin in my life. And counseling and therapy pulled back the curtain and went, oh man, you have like systemic sin in your life that if you don't start to deal with, it's going to come out in really, really, really unhealthy ways. And you're a spiritual leader and it's going to hurt people left and right. And so that was the next stage of I'm deeply grateful for my counseling and my therapy. I love to share, like there's this weird stigma about counseling and therapy that we don't like, you don't, you, and I've just never like, like I don't get it. I, counseling and therapy has literally saved me. So I don't know why we don't talk about it more, but I love to talk about it because every time I do, somebody will come up after, ser- after the sermon and be like, I'm really glad you talked about that because I needed to hear that. So there you go. It's a deeply, was a deeply shaping season in my life. Made me think of this passage. You might have been thinking of this passage. It's the no-brainer. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing of the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says to the Philippians, I'm confident that God's doing something in your life. And I'm confident that he's going to be at work and he's going to bring this to completion. God, God is not done with this part of my life. It is a tool that he continues to use, and I go back to intentionally every couple of years. I'll go, I'll go spend six more months, and just got done, just got done in June, with actually a year-long stint in counseling and therapy, because it's just, God's, God's going to complete the work in me, but probably not until I'm dead, right? Like, there's this long work that Jesus is doing, but I'm con- Paul says, I'm confident he's going to complete it. I'm confident of that, too, in my life and yours. I'm confident of that, too. What else does he say? Uh, I put a lot of verses up here. Um, where did I leave off? Uh, Day of Jesus Christ. It is, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your hearts. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I long for all of you at the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. This is what therapies helped me do. That, you, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. I would never have been able to have that discernment, never been able to have that self-awareness and reflection, never known the importance of putting some of those accountability relationships in my life without this season of spiritual formation. I would be a dangerous dude. Frankly, without the grace of God, I am a dangerous dude today. Um, Too many things vie for my ego and my attention. It's horrible. But that's that's what we're called to. So then I thought about my next season of ministry. Uh, My next season of ministry, my next season of spiritual formation, we moved, uh, let's see, 2011, we moved to northern Idaho, where we spent a decade. That was where I moved from when I came here. And that decade on the Palouse is what we call it. Everybody that listens to the podcast says, what is the Palouse? The Palouse is a region in northern Idaho, eastern Washington. It's a high desert farming plateau where, um, where they grow grain. That's essentially the, the, the easy answer to that. Um, I came from southern Idaho where you would water your fields with pivots. I remember showing up to the church 
um, and being in the lobby one day, talking to one of our elders, he was this big six foot nine farmer, and I was like, how do you guys, want, I don't see any pivots here, like how do you guys irrigate your fields? And he kind of like grabbed me by the shirt and pulled me close, he says, the Lord waters our fields, son. <laughs> it has nothing to do with my sermon, but welcome to the Palouse. Okay. <laughs> So I, I, can remember, um, I can remember going to the Palouse, and, and we've always had great relationships. God's been very good in that. But I can remember uh, getting to the Palouse, and um, I love this. A ratchet's good for just, it's the only tool that I really use in my life. I'm, I'm really not good with anything other than vice grips and a ratchet. That's the only thing I ever use. Uh, and a hammer, but I usually just break stuff. Um, but we ended up getting, uh, Building, building a community unlike any community that I think we ever had. I can see my wife slightly nodding. We, we built friendships there that were incredible, um, deeply shaped us, uh, held us accountable. I was a part personally. Um, you could ask my wife about her community and how she would articulate it. The community I was a part of, I had this group of guys, uh, a handful of us, and, and for at least a, a handful of years there. We were there for about a decade, and I don't think we hit a home run the entire time I was there, but there was about four or five years there, we would get together multiple times a week, sitting, sitting around a fire in somebody's backyard, and uh, we would just have these incredible conversations multiple times a week. We, we, had, we had a deep, meaningful friendship. We had what I think the Bible typically calls fellowship, and we think of like potlucks, but the word koinonia like talks about something deeply forming and shaping. And, and, I, and I think what we had was koinonia. We would talk about it, like we would, we would sit around the fire and we would, we would have good food and drink good drink and, and smoke things, legal things. Um, and we would just have these great conversations. And, and man, what, a, what, a, what an unbelievably safe space. We would talk about everything like for fun, but we would easily talk. We would easily slip in and out of, on a regular basis, conversations about marriage and our families, conversations about our job. We were, many of us were in ministry, so we often had these account, like we were holding each other accountable to what it meant to follow Jesus in our ministries and our work, because it's too easy to take this easy road or to cut that easy corner. And we, man, what an unbelievable season of my life where I learned the value of good, healthy relationships, spaces where you could literally share anything. Like those spaces are so rare. I don't know why they're so rare in the church, but they are unbelievably rare in the church, especially for, for pastors. I'm not trying to make a big, you know, woe is me. But it's, it's tricky for ministers to find a safe space. What a deeply shaping time for me. And all these things were, all these things were, were tools. Uh, well, I thought of this passage, Hebrews 10. Therefore, my, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us to the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. So the author of Hebrews says this passage, he says, since we understand grace and forgiveness and compassion, since we understand the implications of how much God loves us. Like we can be bold in our faith. We can be confident in our faith because that's how big grace is. And since that's true, since that's true, because we always quote this verse without the, the first verses. 
Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Why is it hard to build those relationships that I was just talking about? Because relationship is dangerous and vulnerability stinks and it's hard and we fail and then we hurt people and it happens all the time. And so what we do is we just kind of get, we get closed rather than open and we just start to close ourselves off in an effort to self-preservation. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, since, since we know what grace has done, since we know how big forgiveness and love is, since we know that the curtain of the temple has been torn, since we know the scandal of the gospel is real in our life, then let's, let's build those relationships. Let's provoke one another to love and good deeds. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Boy, that verse got some mileage this last two years, didn't it? How dare we close our churches down due to the pandemic? Hebrews 10 says, probably not what Hebrews 10 is talking about. Probably, probably not what Hebrews 10 is talking about. Probably not talking about pandemic corporate worship gatherings. Probably talking about a more meaningful expression of relationship. Which, ironically, some of us found during the pandemic. And some of us lost during the pandemic. I, I get all of that. These, that was another season of my life. And, that, and then we moved here. I, and I haven't found and formed that sense of community yet. I do have some very important relationships in my life. But, I, but I've tasted of that community and I know what it's like. And I'm sure some of you do too. Because some of you are nodding as I talked about this. You know how important those relationships are. And how deeply forming, spiritually forming, spiritual formation, spiritually forming that kind of community can be. All these things are tools that God's given me throughout my life. And now, now, it's 2022, and I just started last month a brand new thing. I've never done it before. It's called spiritual direction. Megan, yeah? Me Megan's a spiritual director guru. That's what she does. And uh, so I don't even know. I don't even know what this is. Like, literally, I don't even know what this is. That's why I picked it. I don't know. Somebody can come tell me what this is. This is fantastic. My grandpa gave it to me. I have no idea what this is. I have no idea what spiritual direction is. I've read about it. I thought I knew what it was, and then I got to my first meeting, and my spiritual director says, you know what I love to call spiritual direction? Spiritual companionship. And I thought, well, that's not what I thought we were doing. This is exciting. And I can trust that process because of every other tool that God's ever given me has been so meaningful and deeply shaping to my spiritual formation and my walk. So I have no idea what awaits me. It made me think of this story, though. Here's a weird one. I, I think it made me think of this story because I had to translate it for Hebrew class last month. So it was on my brain. But here's a weird, here's a weird reference for you. <laughs> I promise this makes sense in my brain. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lipidot, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel on the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinom, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take position at Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the, and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Yavin's army, to meet you by, the, by Vadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give them into your hand. Barak said to her, If you go, I will... If you, go, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera in the hand of a woman. And Deborah got up and went to Barak to Kadesh. It's a weird reference. 
But I, I just heard this through a whole different lens after translating this chapter for my class. We always look at this story and we're always like captivated by the whole woman, man, male, female dynamic here and Deborah and Brock, such an idiot. And sometimes I started asking a whole new set of questions this year when I read that passage. I wonder if they just, I wonder if Brock just wanted a friend. I wonder if Brock was like, I don't want to do this if, you don't, if you're not going to come with me. Not that, I, not that I'm saying that Deborah was his spiritual director, but maybe. I, I, I saw in this story spiritual companionship. And Deborah was like, just so you know, like I don't know if this is going to matter to you, but this is going to affect the way they tell the story. And, and we always like make Barack like this whimpering, foolish, lacking courage. And I wonder if Barack just went, yeah, I don't care. It's not in the Hebrew either way, by the way. It doesn't tell us. But maybe there's another way to hear and read this story. I don't, I don't know. But that, that's the story I thought of. Take it or leave it. I don't, I don't know if that's a good, uh, a weird proof text or not. But, but I don't know what spiritual direction has in, in, in store for me or, or in front of me. But my, but my point, my closing point would be this today. I don't even know where I'm at on time. Spiritual formation in my life has looked like God continuing to continue continuing to bring tools, spiritual tools into my life that he uses, not me. I mean, I get to use them too. I get to engage them too. But God uses these tools in my life to deeply shape and to form and to transform who I am. I, I think this is what God does for all of us if we're open to it. And, and we, can, we, can, we can resist this process. Here's the bigger issue, actually. I don't think... We, we actually rebel or resist. I think we can just be too distracted, right, in our world. We're just too busy. We've got too many other things. We've got such a big agenda of, of really good things that God is calling you to, by the way. Your agenda is not evil. But it's just so easy to be distracted from the work of spiritual formation. So this is something that we can resist. It's something that we can ignore. It's something we can plug our ears. It's something we can be too distracted. It's something we can want want and and still be too distracted to embrace or it's something that we can intentionally intentionally see and work for so there you go that's my awesome thunderous conclusion may we be willing to to see the non-grandiose the small, I don't know who talked about mustard seeds, but they're right up here. Who did that? Who's responsible for mustard seeds? Megan? Good work, Megan. I'm stealing it. This is not in my materials. The kingdom, I don't know, I don't know what she said. The kingdom of God is like that. I don't know if she did the faith thing. Did you do the faith thing? Yeah. Here, here, here's another thing the Bible says about mustard seed. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Like imagine like how big and annoying the garbage truck was a moment ago or the ambulance that I'm sure will go by in the next 10 minutes or the, the car with like 17 10-inch subwoofers that will go by. Like that's what we want the kingdom to show up like, Right? The Bible says that's, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a seed that a farmer planted in a field. And whether he 
whether he, this is in the Gospel of Mark, whether he got up and did anything or slept, no matter what he did, God caused it to grow. Spiritual formation is this small thing. I, I begged my, I just got back from Israel this week. I begged my group on the last day. I, I don't even know where that went. I just lost a mustard seed. <laughs> See, it's that easy to lose, everybody. Pay attention. <laughs> I, I begged my group as we came back from Israel. I, I said, just don't underestimate the two-degree shift in either direction. The smallest little two-degree shift 10 years from now will produce one kind of growth or another. Spiritual formation is not this huge, like, life overhaul, sit down, quit. I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes Jesus is like, quit your job. Spiritual formation is these little tools that God gives you, and you just continue to embrace them, continue to entrust them. And like a mustard seed, it grows and takes off, and the moment it gets started, you can't stop it. It's like a toxic weed, Jesus said. Anyway, we'll do that sermon some other time. Let's pray. God, we're, we're thankful that you, I mean, ultimately, you, you pursue us. There, there's, there is no doubt for a moment that, that it's a partnership. That you're asking us to, to, to lean back. To um, You're using tools, but you also want us to embrace them. Like, there, there's a partnership involved. But let us not think that this is something where you just sit back and wait for us to, you pursue us. You, you will pursue relentlessly anybody who says, I, I think I'm open to what you're, want, what you're wanting to do in my life. That if we create space, you fill it. So, uh, God, we're thankful for that. We're thankful that you, you would care about us enough that you would pursue us when we probably don't always deserve it and we're probably too distracted and we're probably too selfish and we probably don't pay enough attention and yet that's why you, you, you spiritually form us in the first place is because you have a work that you have begun in us and it is not completed but we are confident you are going to complete it like we are not the people that you want us to be we do not look like you but if 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 we embrace this process, we look a little bit more like you today than we did yesterday and a little bit more tomorrow and five years from now a lot more and you just continue to shape us and mold us and transform us into the image of your son and we're deeply grateful for your commitment to that process. God, I pray that we would be more aware that that process is taking place, that we could acknowledge it, appreciate it, embrace it, live into it, be shaped and molded by it, Continue to speak to us. Send us mentors. Give us spiritual disciplines. Send us spiritual direction. Help us build fellowship and relationships and community. The myriad of, uh, a million other things that, that, we're gonna, that we're going to hear and have already heard from teaching team members. God, just, just shape us. And, um, and continue to do that work. May we look more like you so that you can continue to do this work with more of the world bringing shalom to chaos and putting it all back together in the power of your resurrection. So, God, we love you. We pray all this in the resurrected name of Jesus. Amen.